Well, if you go to any town centre on a Sunday morning, uh, it isn't usually too busy on a Sunday, particularly early on a Sunday. But uh, there was one particular Sunday in May 1988 where the middle of Wimbledon, which was the place where we were living at that point, was absolutely packed with thousands and thousands and thousands of people on that morning. And the reason was that the previous day, the Wimbledon Football Club had managed to win the FA Cup. And so against all odds, they beat Liverpool, who were the team at that time, uh, at Wembley. I was actually there, so it was an amazing experience. But the next morning, they did the typical open-top, double-decker bus thing, and they drove from Plough Lane, which is where the football ground was, into the middle of the Wim- Wimbledon, and there was this sea of a yellow and blue scarves and flags and uh, football tops, and uh, Kathy and I, so we, went, we were out there on the streets with all the thousands of people. Uh, we, our church was just around the corner from where that photo was taken, that was the manager holding the FA Cup there, and the town crier is the guy in the, the outfit behind him. Uh, on the balcony of the town hall. And we uh, finished our service uh, early that day. It was a really good service, a short one. And then we went out and uh, just joined the crowds. And, you know, today is Palm Sunday. And Jesus came into Jerusalem. And there were scenes like that uh, uh, on that occasion um, uh, when he came into Jerusalem. It was an extraordinary moment where loads and loads of people just suddenly emerged Uh, to bring him into Jerusalem. So we are doing this uh, series over Easter. Uh, He is welcome today. He is broken, Good Friday. And he is risen next Sunday. We'll be looking at that uh, on Easter Sunday. And we've deliberately set these titles in the present tense because Jesus continues to live. He died, but he rose again from the death, from death, and he ascended to heaven, and he lives today. So he isn't a forgotten hero; he is God. And the people of Jesus' time, they wanted a hero. They wanted a champion, someone to call them, to gather them to arms, to start a revolution against the Roman regime. They wanted a military messiah that would come in and conquer all their enemies. They'd been oppressed for generations and they wanted this messiah to come in and sweep in and sweep away all their enemies. One of the things that always strikes you about this story is this great celebration on Palm Sunday Uh, And one end of the week, they're all with him and all for him. And then at the other end of the week, people have turned against him so quickly. And he ends up on a cross. Perhaps Jesus disappointed these people by being the wrong kind of Messiah. They hoped that he would deliver their nation. And yet, by the end of the week, he became the forgotten hero. The question we might ask ourselves today is this, to what extent is he welcome in our lives today? To what extent is he welcome in my life today? Was there a time when you thought that maybe Jesus would solve all your problems and then perhaps he just didn't deliver in the way that you expected him to and you're disappointed and you've given up following him? Has there ever been a time when he was welcome in your life? Was there a time in your life when he was more welcome than, than he is today? Is he welcome today, but he might be forgotten by, by this time next week, or he might be forgotten by this time next month, or by this time next year? Or is he always welcome? 
We're going to read the story of Palm Sunday from the Gospel of Mark. We'll be following Mark through this Easter series. And so we're in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. And they untied it, and some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The first thing we need to realise is that false expectations lead to false hopes. I know of one man who was always very pessimistic, and one of his favourite sayings was, every silver lining has a cloud. His philosophy was uh, kind of that if... uh, You never expected anything good to happen, then you'd never be disappointed. But if something did happen which was really good and positive, then you would be excited about it and surprised. The trouble with hope is that it often leads to disappointment. If you hope in something or in somebody, they can let you down. Every football fan in the country knows that kind of disappointment and that kind of hope. They have unrealistic hopes about how well their team will do, and often the team lets them down. Well, the prophecies in the Old Testament pointed towards a Jewish king who would come from the line of David and who would set up his his kingdom in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be his capital city and he would reign from there. This is what David Pawson wrote about the Jewish expectations. David Pawson's a great Bible teacher and he says this, They believed God would send an anointed king. Now, under Roman domination, the longing for liberty continued. They expected this liberation, it to give them a position of leadership to other nations. Jerusalem would not only be their own capital, it would be the centre of world government. So there was this great expectation that uh, the Jewish people would be in charge of things, essentially, that the Messiah would come and establish his capital city in Jerusalem, and then his reign was spread out all the way to the ends of the earth. The Jewish people felt that their nation uh, would become like a superpower, like the USA or like China today. So economically and in in a military sense, they would be uh, the key nation, and the Messiah would reign from Jerusalem. And that was how they read the scriptures, and indeed that's what the, the Bible teaches. And in Jesus, they saw a man who really fitted the bill. And they thought, surely this man is the Messiah. 
They'd seen him perform miracles. They'd heard stories about him raising people from the dead. In fact, the story was emerging that he'd raised a guy called Lazarus from the dead just, just the day before. And uh, so he's a popular teacher. He's a great leader. And uh, they're waiting for him to make his move to come into the city. And it, of course, it's festival times. So there are thousands and thousands of people there from all over the, the, the surrounding area and the, the known world at that time, gathering in Jerusalem. And they're thinking, the crowd are thinking, this is his moment. He's going to declare himself as king. He's going to come into Jerusalem and set up his kingdom. He's going to drive out the Romans. He's going to bring an army with him. He's going to form an army and, and establish Jerusalem as his capital city. That was their expectation. The moment has arrived. Generations of Jewish people have been waiting for this moment. And now it's here. And so the crowds are with Jesus in Bethany and those villages on the top of the Mount of Olives. And uh, they're gathering around him. They realise he's making his move towards Jerusalem, which was down below in the valley. And so the crowd is gathering. They've heard the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead and all the other miracles he's done. And they're gathering around him and he's riding along and the cloaks are going down on the floor and the branches are going down and there's more and more noise. And then the people down in Jerusalem who've gathered for the festival are looking up the hill and they're seeing all these people emerging from the villages up there. A bigger and bigger crowd and there's noise up there and they're coming through and they're going to Jesus because they've heard the rumour is he's coming into Jerusalem. So they're going out to meet him. The crowds up on the hills are coming down with him and there's this growing sense of momentum that he's going to declare himself as king. No wonder the Pharisees and the religious authorities were nervous. In John's gospel, they say to one another, look how the whole world has gone after him. And it must have felt like that, all these extra people, these pilgrims in the city going out to Jesus and their authority and their power is in real danger. Of being eroded. So, what a surprise it is to read in Mark chapter 11, verse 11 Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. He got all the way into Jerusalem, he went into the temple, everybody expected him to declare himself as king. He looks at his watch and says, guys, it's a bit late. Let's go home and get an early night. What? What? Surely not. It should read. He, 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 he went in and established himself, made a fantastic speech, gathered the people, said, come on, let's pick, get, get our arms, you know, let's, let's, let's drive out the Romans. It should read like that. Let's form an army. Let's establish this Jewish nation. I am the Messiah. No. It's getting a bit late, guys. I need a mug of cocoa and go to bed early. You know, let's, let's, let's chill out. Maybe we'll come back tomorrow. What? You can imagine how the crowds thought, well, is that it then? We, so what do we do now? We just sort of drift off home. Maybe some of the crowds were thinking, ah, I know what he's doing. He's just kind of like the Jericho story when you go around the walls every day, you know, for a few days and you psych out the, the enemy. And so maybe he'll be back tomorrow. Same thing again. And they're all getting nervous. Same thing again the day after. And eventually he's going to go, this is it, I'm the king. But by the end of the week, he was dead. It wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they expected at all. Total disappointment. 
their hopes, the hopes of a nation, the hopes of generations, just disappeared, dashed. What was going on? There are lots of different ideas about how things are going to work out at the end times, when Jesus returns. The way I read the scriptures, I would say he is going to return and he will reign on this earth from Jerusalem. I think the scriptures will be fulfilled in the way that they expected the scriptures to be fulfilled on that day. But it's not going to happen until he returns, till his second coming. So they weren't wrong in their understanding of the scriptures. It's just that the timing was different and Jesus had come not to establish a political kingdom at that point, but to establish a kingdom in people's hearts. Because where he is king, that is where his kingdom is. And across the world, there are something like two billion people across the world that would say Jesus is king. So that is a pretty big kingdom already. But he hadn't come just to set a few uh, thousand people, or maybe a million or two people, free from oppression of, of the Romans. He got a bigger purpose in mind. He got a bigger vision. His kingdom was much bigger than just setting uh, a small nation free from an oppressive regime. He knew there was a bigger enemy. An enemy called sin that that can hold us uh, much more uh, and oppress us much more than Roman rule. The tyranny of sin would separate us from God for eternity. And he was after that. That was what he wanted to conquer. And that was what he came to do on the cross. And so if you don't understand what Jesus has come to do for you, you might end up being disappointed. But his plans are not our plans. His ways are not our ways. And so the story of Palm Sunday is a story of hope and a story of disappointment. There is a hope of a brand new age emerging and there's disappointment that by the end of the week, by the end of the day, certainly by the end of the week, nothing had changed. The Romans are still in power. The religious authorities are still there. Nothing's changed. We have an election coming up soon, May the 7th, and this building will be used as a polling station. So unless you're living in this area and you come here to vote, please don't come here on that day because you'll just get dragged in to vote for somebody. Uh, But we have an election coming up and politicians love to talk about change. Barack Obama in his campaigns, presidential campaigns, has used the word change more than probably any other word. Vote for change, change we can believe in, our time for change. People want change. And these people wanted change. They'd been under the authority of other nations for so many years. And they wanted change. But they kind of wanted change on their terms. They wanted a Messiah that they could control, in a way. They had their hopes raised by Jesus, but it just hadn't happened the way they wanted it had to happen. But the problem isn't Jesus. The problem is our misplaced hopes. He has a much greater purpose than just fulfilling their small expectations. And sometimes you need to hang in there for a little bit longer before you see it come good. So false hopes lead to false expectations, lead to false hopes, and false hopes lead to big disappointments. So here's my question How many of us have hoped and then been disappointed? Perhaps you have experienced something similar to the crowds. 
You began to follow Jesus. You began to sing his praises. You got caught up with lots of other people in how amazing he was. He's going to liberate life. He's going to uh, change things in the world. And then after a while, you've got disillusioned. You, you were following him, but then actually, uh, somewhere along the way, some of your most fervent prayers weren't answered, and he wasn't the Messiah you wanted him to be. He didn't somehow fit the, the mould that you wanted him to be. Uh, you pray for somebody to be healed, and they weren't healed, or something like that has happened, and you, you lost hope. You got disappointed. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower. He said, you know, I scattered the good news seed everywhere, but some of it falls among thorns, which represents the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And the result is that your, your faith can wither away. These things affect us and we lose hope. We get disappointed. Has your faith ebbed away? Have you given up on following Jesus? Have you caved in to disappointment? Are you wondering if Jesus really is the Messiah, whether he really is Lord. And if that's you, let me ask you this. Is it Jesus who's let you down, or is it your expectations of who he should be that you've just got wrong? Sometimes our theology needs to change rather than Jesus needing to change. We want him to be the kind of Messiah we want him to be. And if he doesn't respond to us in our personal lives and our, our small needs and he doesn't come through for us, we get disappointed, we forget that he's got a much bigger mission going on behind the scenes. And that we're to get caught up in what he's doing rather than trying to sort of reduce him to our small lives and make him fit. And the disciples didn't fully understand what was going on either because by the time we get to the ascension, they're still asking him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? In other words, are you going to set up your kingdom now in Jerusalem? And he's saying, no, I'm going back to the Father, but I'll be back eventually to do that. And so even they, they're sort of struggling to grasp what was going on. But they hung on in faith. He said they experienced Palm Sunday with the excitement and the, 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 the thrill of seeing him being proclaimed uh, and acknowledged as Messiah. And he comes into Jerusalem, but by the end of the week, he's on a cross and he's died. And the, the disciples were totally confused, and, and, and you read the story, it's all so real. But they could have given up at that point. They could have given up at that point. And if they had given up at that point on Good Friday, they would have missed the victory of Easter Sunday. And sometimes we just have to hang on in there. We don't fully understand what's going on or what God is doing in our lives. We need to hang on in there until we get to Easter Sunday, to the victory moment. We can give up too soon. And if they had given up at the resurrection moment and they were confused about the resurrection, you read the end of Mark, they just don't believe it is Jesus when he appears. If they'd have given up at that point, they'd have missed Pentecost six weeks later and the Pouring, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can give up far too early sometimes. My wife and I, Kathy and I, are season ticket holders at ASC Wimbledon. We like football. I'm very blessed to be married to a woman who likes football. I've trained her really well. And uh, she loves football. And we go and watch the matches. And the thing that amazes me is that every, every match, about five minutes before the match ends, people leave. They, the crowds start to drift away. They're getting back to their cars, then get away before everybody else. And I never understand why people leave a match five minutes before the end. Because probably statistically, 
there are a lot of goals scored in the last five minutes because teams are trying to win the match and they're, they're getting tired, they start making mistakes and there are always, there's a good chance there are goals right in the, the end of a match. And we were watching a match a few weeks ago, uh, Wimbledon were playing Luton and it was 1-1 and we got to the last five minutes, people start leaving and I'm saying to Cathy, I don't know why they leave, there could be a goal now. And our manager puts a substitute, a striker on, a guy called David Connolly. Now, David Connolly is 37. He's so old that we used to watch him at Selhurst Park when the old Wimbledon used to play there. He used to play in that team. And Cathy's saying to me, oh, why has he put David Connolly on? He's so old. You know, what's the point of that? She's ranting on about it, chuntering away. Two minutes later, he scores the winning goal. And she says, oh, I knew that was a good substitution. <laughs> 30 seconds after he scored, the referee blew his whistle. We won. Three points. Great jubilation in the crowd. Where do people go five minutes before the end and miss that? I don't know. And we can do the same with our faith. We can miss the, very, the best bit if we give up too early. We need to hang on in faith and to see the rewards. We need to put the disappointment behind us and keep going back to Jesus in faith. Somebody once said there are no hopeless situations, there are only people who have grown hopeless about them. And so genuine hope is based on genuine truth. In John 6, 66-69 we read this. From this time many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So it isn't happening to Jesus. And then he says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? He asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's faith was not based on experiences. It was based on the truth. You have the words of eternal life. I mean, he'd had plenty of experiences. He'd seen Jesus heal people. He'd seen seen the miracles. But his faith in the end was based on the fact that Jesus has The words of life. Is your faith based on a popular crowd pleaser? Somebody that draws crowds? Is that the kind of Jesus you're following? Is that the kind of Messiah you're looking for? If so, what happens when he's no longer flavour of the month? What happens when it is not a popular thing to follow Jesus Christ, which increasingly isn't in our country? What happens when you are mocked for even having a faith? Is your faith based on seeing miracles? But what happens when the miracles don't seem to be coming? When you've prayed fervently for something and it just doesn't happen? Is your faith based on the hope that Jesus can make your life a bit better? I mean, a lot of these people in the crowd had been there when Jesus had healed the sick. Maybe some of them had been healed. Uh, Maybe some of them had been in the crowd when he fed the 5,000. They thought, wow, this is is something different. We're, We're getting our needs met here. Is your faith based on someone that can make your life a bit better? But what happens when life doesn't go so well, when you've been made redundant, when things go pear-shaped, when it's not so good and, and God seems to be remote from you? Peter's faith was not based on feelings or experiences, but on Jesus' words. And in the confusion that surrounded Jesus' death, the disciples somehow still hung on to some sort of hope there. Because of his words. 
They were disappointed by his death, but they still had hope because they believed that he had got the words of eternal life. And so disappointments come in one form or another. Our faith is tested. We do go through tough times. And it's when you go through those times that you discover how real your faith is. I'm sure all of us could think of friends, family members that used to be in church, that used to follow Jesus Christ, were quite full on with their faith but are no longer there. They've drifted away from that faith. It's easy to start a Christian walk, but it's more difficult to persevere and end it well. And if we'd been there on Palm Sunday, I think we would have been excited like the rest of the crowds. We'd have followed Jesus into Jerusalem. But by the end of the week, where would we have been? Where would you be? As you know that he's been crucified. Would you have hung on long enough, or would you have deserted him at that point? Would you have hung on long enough to see the victory of the resurrection three days on? Don't let disappointment rob you of a glorious victory, a glorious inheritance. Keep following Jesus through the thick and the thin, because he alone has the words of eternal life. He truly is the Holy One of God. He will reign on the earth from Jerusalem one day when he returns. But we have to hang on in there until that happens and believe that he truly is who he said he was. So let me go back to the questions I asked at the beginning. To what extent is Jesus really welcome in your life today? Has he ever been welcome in your life? Was there a time in your life when he was more welcome than he is today, if you're honest? Have you already given up on Jesus to some degree? Is he welcome today, but you think maybe in a week or a month or a year, I'm not so sure. Or is he always welcome?